Hi everybody, I'm Brent Stafford and welcome to RegWatch special coverage of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, Good Cop, Bad Cop, the counter-conference to COP10, the World Health Organization's Conference of the Parties to the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, happening this week in Panama City, Panama. And joining us is David Williams and Martin Cullop, both from TPA. How's it going, gentlemen? Day three, and we're we're chugging along. It's uh, we're doing good. Yeah, great to be with you, Brent. Yeah. So, Martin, uh, what is going on down there? Um, well, we we've, we've had we still had these statements that um, we've been going through and looking at uh, country statements um, to the the WHO in the in the conference center, and there was a, I spoke I think yesterday about the UK's uh, conference. Uh, speech wasn't very good yet. New Zealand spoke about harm reduction. We've had more, but the most important one we've seen so far is from St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, who kind of ambushed um, the top table at the convention by, um, by it started off saying, yeah, we, we, we agree with you. The tobacco industry is hijacking the term harm reduction. And then it said, but you should not dismiss harm reduction as a concept altogether. And we would like to present, um, we would like to present a proposal uh, on article 1D um, on uh, setting up a working group to look at harm reduction and so we can define it more in more detail and uh, as they were speaking the um, the chair was was telling them no please please do they were just cutting them off and but the St Kitts spokesman carried on he said that harm reduction in other areas is accepted HIV AIDS uh, drugs and, and, and other areas and he said you know I, I was the Caribbean go-to person for harm reduction so he was he was drawing a parallel between other areas of policy and saying we, we would like to propose this this um this decision on article 1d um and they cut they tried to cut him off twice but he came back and said no I, we, we will be proposing this thing so it'll be interesting to watch that and see if it happens there was nothing in the journal this morning in the which gives you rudimentary minutes of of what went on the day before there was nothing in that journal uh, minutes to mention this intervention by St. Kitts and Nevis, but it's apparently it was backed up by Guatemala, um, and um, and in the in one of the um, bulletins today, because for some reason uh, Global Alliance for Tobacco Control brought out two bulletins today, and in one of the bulletins Guatemala got a Dirty Ashtray Award uh, for, for supposedly um, bringing back agenda items which uh, they thought were were dead, you know, and and for wasting time time wasting. So I think some sort of uh you know gauntlet has been thrown down by some kids and nevis in guatemala and and hopefully they'll follow through and get support and maybe we can get a decent conversation going about harm reduction at the top level of the who yeah as it should be yeah and brent let me just jump in here because let's look at what they said and i think it's really critical about what they said first of all about the tobacco industry interference so you know here's a country that is really going out on its own at this point right and to say tobacco industry interference shows that they're not defending the tobacco industry. You know, I think that the World Health Organization thinks that everything that is happening in tobacco harm reduction is being financed, is being backed by the tobacco industry. And for them to call them out specifically, brilliant, because I think that's what we want to hear. And then they talk about this working group. And boy, this is going to be fascinating because what we want to do is we want to support St. Kitts and Nevis. We and you know Martin and I were talking about this right before the interview is potentially sending a letter to the uh, Minister of Health or, or whomever deals with this issue in St. Kitts and Nevis. We don't know, but showing our support and reaching out as to how we can help 
as a group, as an organization, as a group of people in this movement uh, to give them support because you know, this is probably very new to them. And for him to talk about harm reduction in other areas, it really brings up a, this idea of governments do embrace harm reduction, whether it's seat belts and cars, uh, electric vehicles, that's supposed to reduce the harm to the environment. And governments are spending a lot of money to have electric vehicles put out there. And we're saying is do the same for harm reduction when it comes to tobacco. If you're really that interested in reducing harm, look at these products. So again, the St. Kitts and Nevis uh, speech and and Martin talked about this, how they were cutting this gentleman off and they, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear dissenting voices. That's why they're mad that we're here. That's why they're mad that we have such a strong presence on social media. But boy, I didn't think, you know, that on Sunday leading up the day before COP starts, I didn't think that St. Kitts and Nevis would be talked about so much uh, <laughs> during this week. But I'm, I'm glad they are and we have to show them support. I, I just want to add that what they were calling for, like, like David said, was a working group to be set up. I mean, that's really what the WHO should be doing. A working group would be uh, for any of the parties to join, uh, to have a conversation about uh, these products and to, to look at the science in, a, in an objective manner. And that's all anyone really wants is just for that to happen. Happen. Um, unfortunately, the WHO has been incredibly resistant to that, but it seems common sense what some, uh, what some kits and Nevis are, are proposing is to, let's have a working group. Let's look at the, the science, let's look at the evidence in an objective manner and, and come to a, a solution which could be good for public health, whether that, you know, which, whichever way that is. Yeah, what I'd like to see coming out of that is like a hashtag hypocrisy of harm reduction. Because that's really what they're pointing out to the WHO is that your stances on harm reduction is hypocritical unless you accept tobacco harm reduction too as well. Absolutely. And what I'm looking to come out of that in, in addition to that is other countries going, wait a second, we can talk about this that there are other countries that St. Kitts and Nevis started the discussion. Now, you know, Guatemala supported it. And what are the next countries that are saying, wait a second, what, we can talk about this at the World Health Organization? So that's why I think a working group is critical is to, is to form that because who knows how many countries are like, finally, we can talk about this. So again, you know, it's a small beginning, but it's a beginning, right? I mean, we have to start somewhere and, you know, not to use a cliche, but the journey of a thousand miles does begin with the first step. It's a good cliche. I wanted to bring up that um, listening to the opening session, they refer to each other, or at least the top people as your excellency. What the hell is that all about? Well, just speak me up, Martin, before you say anything, I want everyone at TPA and Brent, <laughs> I would like for you to refer to me as your excellency. It's a wonderful title. And I think I'm going to have business cards made up. And I think that's the only way I'm going to respond to somebody if they call me your excellency. But obviously, it's ego-driven thing to have these, you know, titles and this, it's absolutely ridiculous to have someone refer to anyone else as your excellency, but it shows you the hubris of the World Health Organization. Martin? Well, it's, it's just a, a stiff thing, isn't it? it? That's the thing, they, they don't seem to be able to relax very, very easily. <laughs> and yeah, coming up with these high, highfalutin terms, uh, I don't know, I'd feel uncomfortable in that environment. I like to just sit down and have a chat over a beer with someone, you know, don't have, and you know, not stand on ceremony, but they obviously like the ceremony. Maybe it gives the aura of, of uh, power and gives them a bit of a kick, I don't know. Well, it certainly uh, 
speaks to their lack of wanting to listen to regular people on issues. How, why would they? when they're in this world, this echelon, where they're the excellencies and directorships and all of that kind of stuff, well, no wonder they don't want to talk to consumers or the regular plebs. Well, if you've seen the coverage as well, um, the way they set up the top table, it just reminds me of the Politburo in the, in the, in the Russian Republic or you know, in USSR, where they would be behind these screens, like on an elevated position, not just on a stage, you know, open, but but with that sort of like boarding in front of you. It just it just reminds me of of that going back to the USSR days. Well, when the USSR fell, the communists had to go somewhere. They probably went to the WHO. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, and I mean, this is just shows you that they are so full of themselves. And and why wouldn't they be? Because they practically had a blank check from countries uh, around the world to, to operate and to push phony science. You know, we saw it with COVID four years ago. Now we see it with tobacco harm reduction. I mean, tobacco harm reduction, we've seen it for a while, but they continue to push this phony science. And no one, well, until us, no one has questioned them. And they've really gotten a free ride on this and that's what we're changing this week is the narrative is that you know bloomberg can have all of his little cronies inside the cop 10 well we have folks outside of cop 10 at good cop talking about the science talking about freedom of choice talking about the taxpayer the consumer aspects of this so you know they're going to stay cloistered in their convention center we're not this is open to everybody if you want to come on down to the central hotel panama and have a discussion with us i really did like what you said yesterday in yesterday's broadcast that tpa is living rent free in the heads of the who yeah, we absolutely are. And when they mention us on webinars, they they know we're here and they're not happy <laughs> that we're here. And that makes me happy as, as a kid from Philly who, you know, was disappointed by sports and a lot of things growing up. It's great to see that I'm inside someone's head and that I'm making a difference. So one of the other groups uh, that's living inside uh, the heads of the WHO is uh, KAC and a bunch of the things and operations that go around uh, that operation. And you have the Global Forum on Nicotine, and that's something that we're partnered with at RegWatch, and we cover um, the issues on behalf of GFN, um, at least in our own particular show that we do. Now, last summer, we did an interview with the co-founder of the Global Forum on Nicotine, Professor Jerry Stimson, and he's also a director at Knowledge Action Change. And uh, he's one of the founders. I mean, he, he's old school at the original harm, you know, uh, harm reduction battle around drugs. Um, and so he's brought that knowledge over the years now to the issues of nicotine and tobacco harm reduction. We've got a clip here that I think uh, would be very good to listen to. Here we go. Confession of conflicts does not lead to absolution. The conference, right from the beginning, had an open policy that we wanted to engage all stakeholders. And naively, I think on my part, I thought, well, it's a good idea and people will go along with that because public health people, parliamentarians, uh, need to talk to industry, to consumers. So everybody's got something, you know, some part to play here. And we are still the only major conference which allows anybody to attend. And, and we get criticized for that because there are other conferences which completely ban 
any participation from people in uh, uh, tobacco companies or even with the slightest link with tobacco companies. But, uh, you know, if you look at, again, you know, Phil, Phil's at climate change and so on, you know, the, the oil companies are at the climate conferences. They might not, you know, you might not say that's, you might be careful about that, but they need to be confronted and engaged. You don't say you can't come. You've got to engage with them because you want them to change. So it's always been my philosophy to engage all stakeholders. And again, that goes back to when I was doing drugs harm reduction advocacy, because we'd have a big annual conference and you'd have drug users, you'd have police, you'd have magistrates, you'd have you know, Ministry of Health people all in the same room. And often they had not talked with each other. Was there a comparable boogeyman? Um, not really, no. I don't think there would have been. Um, not in the same way uh, that I can think of. But it, there were fascinating conversations. So you'd have like a drug user and a judge talking you know, on a, or sharing a platform. And kind of why, why not, is my view. And I've seen fascinating conversations here between people who in their usual life would never have been able to come face to face and have a chat. And so I, I'm a great believer in getting everybody around the table, but there are people in tobacco control who um, don't believe that. There is a, um, an international legal convention on tobacco, the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, and there's, a, there's an Article 5.3 which tries to keep tobacco industry at arm's length from public policy. Good argues for transparency in dealings and so on and so forth. It's been overinterpreted by many in tobacco control to mean that nobody should have any contact. You know, it really only applies to governments and government uh, agencies, but there are some in tobacco control who apply it to you know, all, all, all and sundry, which is a mistake. Yeah, you can't, yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this question, because COP10 is coming up later this year. I would imagine that India is prevented from going so is China, Vietnam, all of the government—you know—governments that make a lot of money uh, with their tobacco monopoly. Are they welcome at the WHO? They are welcome because they are signatories to the convention. I mean, these are com countries which have major, sometimes, um, you know, the owner of 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 the tobacco industry in their their country. And, you know, as is the way with international meetings, kind of you, people try to forget that or put it to one side or whatever. But, yeah, it, it, it is bizarre that you have countries which own tobacco companies who can come to this meeting, which is anti-tobacco and says there should be a division between governments and, uh, and, and tobacco. But, you know. There are ways that people in their minds can kind of ignore that, you know, in, in an international fora, because they're not going to say to China, don't come, not going to say to India, don't come, because they, they need to be there. Professor uh, Stimson, if you had an opportunity to send a message to the delegates at COP10, what would that message be? That there are a billion smokers. Hasn't changed much in 20 years. We've tried lots of things to reduce smoking and had some successes, but one in five of the adult population still smokes. We've got to focus on smoking, not on tobacco, and we've got to look at the opportunities that are provided by the shift to non-combustible ways of using nicotine, to safer nicotine products, such as snus, heated tobacco products, e-cigarettes, nicotine pouches. These, these products are opportunities. They are not threats.
So gentlemen, I'd like to add uh, to hypocrisy of harm reduction is the hypocrisy of tobacco control because they allow China to be at this meeting, they allow Vietnam to be at this meeting, and they're the biggest, you know, some of the biggest tobacco producers uh, and manufacturers of combustible cigarettes in the world. Yeah, and to go down the rabbit hole of the World Health Organization and their ties to China, we could be here for days. But yeah, that therein lies a problem. And what uh, Dr. or Jerry Simpson said was fantastic because we're missing the 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 whole root of this problem, and that's smoking. And that's the 1.2 billion people that are smoking and we're trying to get them to stop smoking. We can talk about the tobacco industry all day long. That doesn't help them. The World Health Organization can you know, stigmatize tobacco, the uh, mom and pop vape shops. That doesn't help people from quitting. Uh, that doesn't help people quit smoking. So that's what we need. And that's what, what, what the World Health Organization needs to focus on. Instead of shutting down St. Kitts and Nevis and what they're saying, they need to talk about what we do to get people to stop smoking. Um, in, I'll, I'll, be, I'll say in defense of the WHO, um, they do get irritated by these, um, the Chinese delegation, especially the Chinese delegation, because they do put people who are part of the uh, national Chinese uh, tobacco company on their delegations and WHO don't like it one bit, but they haven't got any power to stop them because, because that's how the treaty is. You know, it's run by the parties. The parties are the boss, you know, the, the governments are the boss. So if the Chinese government say, here's our delegation, um, you know, the, the FCTC secretary can complain about it and say, well, they're not, we wouldn't like them there. And the government says, well, tough, they're coming. So, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's it, they, they, they know these people are there and, and they don't like it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not up to them to choose who's on the delegations anyway. And I just wish we had more people on the on these delegations who are, who are experts in tobacco, uh, tobacco harm reduction. And we just ha simply haven't got enough. So on the delegations, you do find that there are more um, delegates who are who have interests in tobacco industry than there are who are experts in tobacco harm reduction. Every every delegation should have an expert on tobacco harm reduction to make those arguments, but very few of them have. So is it, and I've asked this question often, Martin, probably to you in an episode, is it that they just don't accept the harm reduction principle as something that should be applied to tobacco? I mean, readily, you know, harder drugs and all these other issues, and, and they just don't seem to get it that it could apply to tobacco. Well, they've got themselves into a bind, really, because they they state you'll hear it regularly whenever they talk about Article 5.3. There is a, uh, a, a irreconcilable conflict of interest between um, tobacco industry and public health. So they say, you know, industry can't industry is just interested in profits. It's not interested in public health. Um, and they've, they've said that for a long time. But but it used to be true when, when companies were just selling cigarettes, but now they're selling things that are much less harmful and could be beneficial to public health, but they have to still cling to that. And, and that's, that's why they're, they're trying to deny that harm reduction is what the tobacco industry said harm reduction is. I mean, harm reduction should be a simple concept, but they're trying to redefine it. And, and how they're trying to redefine it is to say, it's not, the tobacco industry has hijacked this term because um, because the, 
proper harm reduction does not involve profits. It, you know, harm reduction is to, is to have medicalized products. That's harm reduction. It's not about someone buying a consumer product and making an, a business making profit out of it. So th that's where they're caught in a bit, bit of a bind. You know, they've, they've got that long-standing thing, the irreconcilable conflict, and now harm reduction, simple, simple uh, concept, they're having to try and change it to try and change the meaning of it, to redefine harm reduction. So we did think we did think they were going to try that at this COP, but they seem to have shied away from it. Maybe they're just finding it very difficult to do because it would seem a bit ridiculous because at the end of the day, they would just be saying, oh, we just don't like anyone who makes a profit from making something that can reduce public health, even though they are very close, um, the WHO, with the pharmaceutical industry. It always have been for decades. Um, but it's fine for the pharmaceutical industry to make lots of profits, but uh, apparently not anyone from the other side, uh, whether they're making less harmful products or not. And, and you can't ignore the influence that Michael Bloomberg has in this whole process is because he has given a lot of money uh, to nonprofits. He's he has vital strategies. He has you know, the media in his pocket and he exerts a lot of pressure on the World Health Organization. And I think that there are a lot of different pressure points for the WHO right now. And I really do believe Michael Bloomberg is a significant pressure point because he is able and Martin, I was looking at the list. I mean, there are you know, hundreds of people from Bloomberg funded nonprofits that are here in Panama City uh, that are allowed in the room. I mean, not just here, uh, like we're here, they're allowed in the room talking about these issues and we're not allowed to be in that room. So I think, again, there's different pressure points here. And, you know, go, going back to the tobacco industry, you know, one thing that really bothers me is the illicit market and the tobacco industry, they know how bad it is because it's their products that are being ripped off. It's their bottom line that's hurting and to not to bring them you know to the table and talk about you know what the problem is how to solve the problem but the world health organization has said we are not talking to these companies that is 100 percent just ridiculous and consider um you know electric vehicles they talk to ford they talk to chrysler they talk to these but they will not talk to the tobacco companies about uh the black market and they should absolutely should now, um, we talk to the tobacco companies and they talk to us. I've got a very short clip here from Dr. Summer Hanna, again from uh, one of our episodes with GFN. She is the VP of Scientific Regulatory Engagement at British American Tobacco. That's tough. I mean, I think. The thing that I think about the most is the elaboration of harm reduction in Article 1D. Um, you know, that was, I think it was discussed yesterday, you know, every country agreed to that. And that that's a promise to be, you know, followed up on to figure out what's the opportunity to say, you know, we've got these products here, we've got that. We've got that opportunity for harm reduction. And that opportunity is a wide variety of consumer choice centric products to move away from smoking. And that's how we deliver on our smoke-free ambitions globally. So directly uh, addressing that very issue you were just talking about. 
Yeah, uh, well, the, uh, yeah, this this Article 5.3, which is constantly misapplied, basically it, it means if you talk to industry, you should be transparent and, and let people know you're talking to industry and about what you're talking with them, you know, what you're talking to them about. But it, it has got to absurd levels. So, for example, in the UK, um, there's this big issue. Everyone's complaining about disposable vapes are being just thrown in the in the trash or they're just being left on the road. And they're talking about this is really bad for the environment. You know, this is terrible. We need to do something about this. But the UK Vaping Industry Association in the UK um, contacted DEFRA, which is the Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, who deal with environmental uh, concerns and they said could we have a meeting we'd like to discuss with you how we can reduce this level of litter and and protect the environment and, and reduce the impact of our products and DEFRA replied and said I'm sorry we can't talk to you because of article 5.3 so I mean you know don't complain about the environmental impact if you're not going to talk about the people who can try and help to alleviate it and 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 it's again it's a total misapplication of course they can talk to the UK Vaping Industry Association because it's about something which comes within their purview which they should be talking to industry about. But they're, they're just blindly uh, taking this complete um, imaginary uh, um, definition of Article 5.3 um, and applying it in completely the wrong manner, which is not helping anyone. Now, we didn't uh, pre-plan this, Martin, or, or with David, the clips that I had, because we didn't. And it just seems to be that every clip that I've got is addressed, addressing what you guys are talking about. Because we have Dr. Condal, uh, Colin Mendelson from uh, Australia, who last year, when he was trying to deal with the disposable issue in Australia, the same thing, put together a group of people to, and companies that, you know, that are experienced in the refuse business and went to the government and they wouldn't talk to them. And uh, it was quite a mess. Here's another clip. The environmental issue is a big issue with vaping. Now we have kids using disposables, throwing them everywhere, and that's, that's, that's a concern. Several of us wrote a discussion paper on how to address this in Australia. We approached the Department of, of in the Environment to say, we've got this discussion paper, how we can resolve this problem. You're all worried about um, uh, recycling and uh, the environment, and, and, and there are programs to deal with this, but for vaping there's nothing. And they said, well, we can't talk to you. And we said, excuse me? Uh, you, you're involved with the e-cigarette industry. Yes, when we were involved, we had one of the members of our committee was a manufacturer. We needed to talk to manufacturers, talk to vapors, we talked to all um, stakeholders. Uh, we said, oh, okay then, well, how about you talk to me and Alex Wadak, who's an independent physician? They said, well, no, this breaches the FCTC. Um, why is that? Because we're talking about e-cigarettes. And we said, well, that's nothing to do with the FTCT. And they said, well, that's the position that we have. And of course, we could have gone public about that, and we could have taken it, written letters, and, but we knew that would get us nowhere. But th that's the stupidity that we're facing. I mean, refusing to talk about recycling because uh, this was about e-cigarettes which were linked to tobacco somehow in their disturbed minds, and yet um, it was a major, a major issue. In a way, it's as if they want to have an environmental problem because then they can uh, campaign better against it. Well, it's been a pretty fortuitous issue 
uh, to, you know, gin up some hysteria around vaping in areas where things were starting to cool off. Look, the UK, they, the, the environmental issue actually really energized yes. the argument in the UK. Yes, it has. And look, they're finding solutions. And in Australia, we, we realised we had to find a solution. It was better if we did it. And we worked out a model run by the government, oversized, and with the manufacturers involved and paying for it, and the retailers involved. And we thought we had quite a good model, but we needed some government uh, support. And they refused to talk to us about it. So that's how irrational this has become. So, of course, coming up later this year, the WHO's uh, Framework Convention on yes. Tobacco Control is hosting COP10, the yes. Conference of the Parties, yes. and they're very much going to be discussing e-cigarettes mm. at this event. Um, what is your message to them? If you could speak to the delegates, what would you say? Yeah, I don't think it would make any difference. Uh, you know, I think they've made up their minds and, you know, they're the World Health Organization. They get too much money from we all know who. And um, I'm not sure that the evidence really is what is going to make their mind up. Um, in Australia, of course, they have less influence, although they're often quoted. So the NHMRC and various government organizations in their reports will say, oh, well, the World Health Organization says this. But it's a big problem for low and middle income countries, and much more than it is in Australia. But clearly, they're on a rogue path, uh, and it's very disappointing. And I think they've lost a lot of confidence from people in public health because of that. So Australia uh, definitely are pick and choosers. Yes, exactly, exactly. We, we'll accept overseas evidence if it agrees with what we've already decided. And so in some situations we'll say, well, we're doing this because, well, the World Health Organization and the American government have said we should do it, it's the right thing to do. but. When other countries are doing things we don't want to do, we say, well, well what would they know? We, we do what's best for Australia. So it's, it is very much pick and choose. Pick and choose, gentlemen. Wow, so we've all seen the game show Jeopardy, right? We know how the, the, the format works. Um, this is what it reminds me of when the WHO comes up with their science is, they have the answer and they're just looking for the question. And every time I hear Dr. Mendelssohn or anyone talk about this, any of the, the doctors, it, this is what I'm reminded of is Alex Trebek and the, the game show Jeopardy. Yeah, it's, it's uncanny that he's, he's recounting there the exact experience that I've just said that happened to the vaping industry in this country. And it's important to say that Article 5.3, whether you misapply it or not, doesn't apply to the vaping industry. It applies to the tobacco industry. Um, so, but they're trying to they're trying to say and they're trying to apply the Article 5.3 to the vaping industry equally as, as it, they did with the tobacco industry. Um, so they are they're just like it's, tr it's a trickle 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 you know drip drip effect of slowly and 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 uh, quietly you know moving Article 5.3 to cover independent vaping companies as well as tobacco companies who just happen to make some uh, vaping products as well as cigarettes. And, and Brent, one, one last thought on this is that look at the medical industry, that there was a, a lot of medical waste, right? For, with blood transfusions, surgeries, they have figured out a way how to dispose of this, 
right? Because you wouldn't have a government say, well, there's a lot of waste. You can't perform surgery. You can't do blood transfusions. The, the medical industry found a way to deal with this. The vaping industry is working on this and they will find a way uh, to address the environmental concerns. So you can't throw away vaping just because, you know, there happens to be a temporary uh, environmental problem because this will be solved. There will be an answer to this. So let me ask you this. Um, it's going to take us off in a different direction. Um, do you think it that these tobacco controllers don't have any room in their heart for redemption? Is that it? Like, is there a resentment, uh, some angst, hate against tobacco industry and the users of tobacco products? I think it's more directed towards the industry. I really do feel like they feel uh, bad for the people that are addicted. I think it really is focused on the tobacco industry itself. And that's where the education is lacking with the WHO folks is that they don't realize that some of these are mom and pop stores, right? That are coming up with uh, these uh, selling vaping devices and liquid. And yes, the tobacco industry has a big stake in this, but you know, I think I said this yesterday or the day before is that you have someone, whatever country they're in, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and they go to a store and they see a way to stop that. They don't care if big tobacco is the way to stop it or if a mom and pop vape store is the, is the way to do it. But the World Health Organization is so fixated on the tobacco industry that I really believe that's why they have so much hatred in their hearts and why they're doing this is against the industry. I, I, I just think it's an easy thing for them to do. I think it's just, it's for years, it's just been so easy. If if you're challenged, just say tobacco industry a lot and the, the public nods, nods along and says, yeah, yeah, those evil people. And um, and I think they're just ideologically opposed to this. I think a lot of them were ideologically opposed to smoking, not because of the health reason, just because they don't like other people doing things they disapprove of. And I think that same attitude has transferred over to vaping. And, and I don't think they're looking at the public health thing about vaping i think they just see people escaping their their punishments from before and they just they just despise that and think you know they're, they're meant to quit the way we told them to they're not meant to, meant to be doing this and and now they're kind of saying you're not you haven't really quit and trying to treat all the products exactly the same way by the way of taxation and bans and all the other procedures in a way it feels like um what the you know what vaping represents was kind of slipping out from the grips of their of, from their grip right and if you look at the timing it was 2003 when the framework convention on tobacco control was basically finalized and it took a couple of years to get all the countries the 192 countries or so uh, to sign on so it was really in 2005 when the treaty finally went into effect and it was then only just a matter of a couple of years and vaping pops on the scene, like literally within just a couple of years. Um, so the whole history of the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control has had their plans thwarted by the vaping industry almost from day one. But it could have been so different. You know, if they'd have embraced vaping when it first came out, then, then they would everything would be going quite well and we would be seeing massive declines in smoking uh, and they also wouldn't be being assaulted by consumers because 
I speak to consumers and they're incredibly passionate because they know these devices save their lives. You know, they've seen their health improve. And, and remember, they were all former smokers. And you speak to them and you say, why are you so passionate about this subject? And they said, because we got screwed over by the, by the WHO and others uh, making us quit smoking. We did that. We did what they told us to do. And then they're screwing us again. Uh, you know, and that's why they're so passionate. They fight for what they what they believe in, for something that helped them, and they cannot believe that this is actually happening to them. You know, they've they've done everything they've been asked. And why didn't the WHO welcome these products in the first place? If they had it done, we wouldn't be in this fractious situation we're in now, and we'd be seeing much better public health outcomes. I'll, I'll tell you why, Martin. I'll tell you why they didn't shut down this uh, because. It takes away their existence, their their reason of being, right? Is that if they acknowledge that vaping, you know, would reduce harm, then why are they in existence? Why do they have, you know, so I think they're just trying to justify their existence. And, you know, at some point, you know, we're gonna see this, uh, this mission creep will be doing other things, but no, I think that they're afraid. <laughs> they're, they're afraid of this because if smoking declines, if these products are readily available, they have nothing to do. Mm. their existence doesn't make sense anymore. So that's why they're continuing. Yeah, we've, we've got experts here who are consumers, you know, consumers with day jobs. And the journeys they've made to come to Panama are astonishing. I mean, I, I, I thought I had hard, hard done by it. It took me 18 hours to get here. But we've got people who said 28 hours. One guy took 36 hours to get here just because he wanted to make his voice heard. You know, th these people will crawl over broken glass to make heard and these people they're never going to stop they're consumers who are really unhappy about what the who is doing they're not going away you know you what the who is they will always be here the consumers will be always making these points and saying these things saved our lives you have to incorporate them into public health and, and recognize tobacco harm reduction as a way of helping people to quit smoking i've got uh, the agenda here for today's uh activities down there at good cop um, what else can you tell us about what happened today at, at the counter conference? Well, there was actually big news that came out of the, the, the counter conference is that we were informed that the Ministry of Health was checking the hotel to make sure people weren't vaping or that people weren't handing out pamphlets talking about uh, the benefits of vaping and tobacco harm reduction. So we actually had a little bit of a, of a concern that because people in our conference were vaping. Now we asked them to step outside the hotel and vape, but to, to have the government step in and, I mean, listen, it was a threat, right? Because they said they would shut down the conference and they could find the hotel. I mean, this is not a tactic that we should be seeing in the free world. This is a tactic that was used uh, on us today. And as the, the head of this conference, it, it really freaked me out to, to have uh, a potential problem with uh, with the government. And listen, everyone complied. Everyone uh, understood that these are the laws of Panama and this is what you do. But it was uh, uh, it was a little tense for uh, a couple of hours. So yeah, we found well, hold on one sec. I just want to make sure I got that. So there was there was the vaping. That's one thing. But then also the sharing of information that was positive towards vaping was also an issue for the government of Panama. Absolutely. And Martin actually yeah. has a. Uh, uh, can talk about that. Yesterday, apparently, the Department of Health, um, uh, public health team of the Metropolitan Health Region uh, kind of raided four hotels. And the reason was because they found out that 
uh, four hotels in that uh, there was a complaint about the distribution of pamphlets and t-shirts focused on the consumption of tobacco and its derivatives which according to international laws is not acceptable because it affects the public health of the population now we know people who were, who were in them hotels and they said these these pamphlets were merely um you know things they uh, materials they they uh, printed to hand out to delegates to say dear delegates please please consider harm reduction please consider these points and and look at harm reduction in a different way they were they were tools that, that are perfectly reasonable you, you know when you come in here you've come in here to to make your voice heard as a member of the public they won't let us in the building but at least people were bringing pamphlets to say look at it a different way here's our point of view please read and they, and the department of health raided four hotels because those pamphlets are being distributed and said it's illegal. I mean, this is astonishing, really. I mean, what can you say about that? I don't, I don't think you've seen anything like that since the 40s. And there are no words that can express the outrage to mm. that. It's just incredible. So how did you kind of sort, you know, settle things down there, David, at, you, at the Good Cop conference? Well, everyone at this conference knew what our mission was and that we had to continue with the conference and everyone said, yes, we'll comply. We'll step outside the hotel to vape. Um, and this is new information about handing out pamphlets. And I haven't seen anyone hand out pamphlets, but listen, everyone's here for a reason and they understand you know, why we're here. So they were, listen, they, didn't, they don't like the laws, right? I mean, they were frustrated and I was frustrated with the laws, but they, they saw the bigger picture in making sure the conference doesn't get shut down and that we can continue on until, uh, until Friday. So gentlemen, uh, do we have uh, Jeannie Cameron ready to go? Yep, yep, Jeannie's here. Okay, so why don't we do that? Uh, we'll do that interview. Um, and then is Roberto around too as well? Yeah. Right. So let's bring Jeannie on, uh, then we'll do Roberto, and then we will have you back on to wrap. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, okay just thing. give me one second here to key up my Be Right Back slate. Brent, how are you? Good, thank you. So we have Jeannie, uh, Janine, Jeannie, it is Jeannie, isn't it? Yes. Yes, Jeannie Cameron, CEO, Managing Director of JCIC International Consultancy. Is that still? That's still correct, yes. That's great. And former Vice President of Regulatory Engagement at Jewel Labs and former Head 
of International Advocacy at BAT. Yes, all correct. Well, there you go. So, Jeannie, the last time we spoke was in 2021. Let's kind of start first with there's been a lot of development since then. What's your assessment on the way in which tobacco harm reduction has been embraced in, say, UK, US, and so forth? Well, I think things have certainly moved on in terms of tobacco harm reduction in a general sense, pushed largely by consumers who see the benefits in the products um, and see what it's how it's helping them. I think um, we've seen some setbacks too uh, in the UK recently um, with a proposed ban on disposables, which is a step back. But I think I would take it back to why is all this happening? Um, in terms of we saw in the UK a very significant onslaught against the UK government's vaping policy, which, as many of us say, is, um, you know, has been until now one of the most open and progressive. And I was talking earlier today on a panel about um, why why is that and why and who's who's behind really pushing this and we know um, I think we spoke before about the World Conference on Tobacco or Health um, that started in the 1960s and uh, every three years they have a conference and at the outcome of the conference they publish a, a, a plan of what they're going to do. And I noted some time ago, nearly 20 years ago, if you added five years onto what that proposal was, you'd get the reality. So, for example, in Paris in 1994 at the World Conference on Tobacco or Health, they said, let's go to the WHO and ask them to create a treaty. And within five years, that process was underway. So if you go to the 2000 conference, which was held in Chicago, they had a plan to uh, an outcome to bring together an alliance of the World Health Organization, the pharmaceutical industry, the World Bank uh, and international NGOs to fight tobacco control, uh, to, to sort of advocate tobacco control and fight the industry, etc. So that alliance um, that came together has been very strong and we see everything that it did and where it's got to now. And so the campaign um, behind um, pushing the UK uh, to, to where it's got this consistent campaign of bringing out the issues that they were focused on, such as youth and environment, was um, you know unsustainable um, in the UK, and they've pretty much done that everywhere. The, the WHO in in the Europe division of the of the original of, uh, area said that that's what they were going to do um, back at the beginning of 2023, and you could see this global um, campaign being uh, rolled out in many places. And in advance of COP10, that's uh, there was a real strong focus on the UK. So I think they're consistent in that. I think when you look at this area, you see a lot of money at stake. I think you always have to look at the money. And I, I, I mentioned on a panel today that this industry, according to Fortune, is, um, well, the industry of NRT, nicotine replacement therapies made by the pharmaceutical industry, is approximately $3 billion and expected to be by 2028, $4 billion. So there's a lot, um, and, and when you add in the wider nicotine options, non-combustible options, it's up to, according to Fortune, about 59 billion. So there's a lot of room there 
to to expand and if you can get the vaping industry uh, sort of out of the way there's a lot more scope there for the pharmaceutical industry so I think we need to look a little closer at you know yes the WHO is is the mouthpiece and pushing people to but there are some vested interests behind that and I also say that because I went in 2003 to the World Conference on Tobacco Health in Helsinki and I saw there very large uh, posters. Um, one in fact was using the Marlboro Man imagery where we'll all recall, you know, welcome to Marlboro country. Well, instead they had up welcome to Nicorette country. They had a GlaxoSmith Novartis, uh, a GlaxoSmithKline and had a big tobacco trap and a wheel of how to do tobacco, anti-tobacco advocacy. And I think we're, we're, you know, we're pushing on something that is real for consumers and is really working for consumers. But when it comes to these other vested interests, um, it's not you know they they say industry interference well where exactly and you know is that industry interference coming from and i'd i'd question that and i think we need to be more open-minded about that and really point the finger at um you know i mean it's an it's interesting in the uk where what has just happened um with disposables because allegedly you know they're getting in the hands of kids um, the figures are still very low because some are only just trying them rather than actually long-term users. But you can still go into a chemist, um, a pharmacy in the UK and legally, without parental consent, purchase nicotine products with flavours called cool fruit if it's a nicotine replacement uh, product. And yet there's no finger pointing at all at the, those nicotine options as non-combustibles, it's only focused on the vaping industry. And I think that, you know, we have to question some of the motives behind this and why the uh, tobacco industry and the vaping industry and consumers and everybody else is being excluded. It sounds so, it's interesting. Are you saying then that while WHO is a mouthpiece, they're not really the power behind the push against nicotine vaping products? Well, I don't know absolutely for sure, but you can actually see that there definitely is an alliance that was agreed in 2000, um, you know, which is more than 20 years ago. That was an outcome of, of the conference, as I said, in their, their declaration at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and I think therefore you have to see that um, you know, the pharmaceutical industry has a lot to lose from um, the success of vaping products to, you know, as a cessation product. Um, you, you, you look at the FCTC itself and there is in Article 14D, there's a, a requirement there of for national governments that have uh, ratified the treaty to ensure that their national tobacco control programs um, include pharmaceutical products. So in a sense, they, they kind of bought, bought the, um, they bought that part of the treaty and, and, and to, I mean, and what more clever um, strategy could you have than to have the, um, the pharmaceutical industry have 
tobacco control activists, um, international NGOs and the WHO um, being part of your machine for um, mouthpiecing your products that you wish to sell. And right. yeah, I'm no. looking very so, um, scathingly, but yeah. I think we look at it like that. Yeah, no, and, and Jeannie, like, I do remember you mentioning that in our interview in, in 2021, but I didn't get a chance really to follow up much because it's really hard to to do but this is the organization you're talking about is there then one another one of these conferences coming up soon there was one in 2021 uh yes um well interestingly i went to the one in 2018 in cape town and the declaration there included very interestingly a um a line which actually supported tobacco harm reduction however it was crossed out by a pen and all the copies were laid out on the table for people to pick up. So if you look online, you won't see this harm reduction support line included there. Now, I took that because I still have that um, copy. I took that to the then head of the Framework Convention Alliance um, um, and asked, like, why, why is this crossed out and what happened? And he said um, to me that there was within the Framework Convention Alliance, which is now called the Global Alliance on Tobacco Control. But he said that, you know, there are a con an amalgam of many um, uh, smaller non-government organisations and not all of them were in agreement with that particular outcome to support harm reduction. And I thought that was, that was very, very interesting. So you've got division in the uh, international NGO group. But at the moment, clearly, the not supporting tobacco harm reduction side is still clearly winning the debate. But it definitely was there. And um, it doesn't exist on online versions, but the versions that were handed out in Cape Town include that with a pen mark through it for all the delegates or all the people there to, to pick up. So I, I do think Things can change and will change, but I really think consumers are at the heart of through their personal stories and what they can do to to um, ensure that national governments, who really are the decision makers, can can get that information and start to change things. We have seen change, um, and we will continue to do it. Uh, see see change in my view. Yeah, well, let's hope that happens. It was definitely uh, disturbing, saddening to see the UK take such a big step backward. Uh, yes, and the UK, I was really disappointed with the UK's intervention on the first day. It was like hitting the issue with a warm lettuce. It was just like, you know, they could have said so much and how it has benefited the UK and their open approach and the government's approach or their stop to swap campaign that they're, they're running. All of the things that the UK government do, not one mention, but you could say the same about the Swedish government, who is the only country in the world that actually is a designated smoke-free country, having less than 5%. And the Swedish government says nothing either. And equally Japan, which um, has really moved by using heated tobacco products to a country that is significantly lower in its smoking rates still also says nothing. So why are they not saying anything? I, I don't understand that. Um, obviously, there's pressure not to say anything, but you'd think 
the sovereign right of states to make their interventions about what they're doing nationally should should be stronger. Actually, it's only Canada that I've not on this issue, but on the opening of the public gallery uh, debates that happened some while ago, Canada did stand up and say that this is not non non-democratic, but it hasn't continued with that. But Canada has pushed back and Cuba also pushes back as well on its industry liability issues. Well, let's hope, uh, well, you definitely have your finger on the pulse, at least, of what's happening in terms of the machinations behind the WHO and its tobacco control operations. Jeannie, thank you so very much for coming on. We are going to Thank you. We're going to uh, jump to a quick clip I've got of Roberto Sussman, Sussman uh, before he sits down in the chair. Thank you, Jeannie. We should not allow tobacco control to treat vaping as they treated smoking, right? And this is for me a very important issue. Well, I think it's important to everybody that's concerned about uh, access to safer alternatives uh, to smoking. Let me ask you this, Dr. Seussman, what's your assessment of the World Health Organization's impact on your country? Uh, well, you see, the uh, World Health Organization has a lot of authority, right? Recently, because of COVID, People are, and people, I mean, even the political class are starting to think that uh, WHO doesn't always uh, hit the, uh, gives a good mark, right? And so, uh, but nevertheless, for health bureaucrats, the health bureaucrats relate to the WHO as if you go to a small town and the Catholic priest will relate to the Pope you know, to the Vatican. And so it's a source of authority, but it has been captured by private interest. Like if you look at the funding of the WHO, a large share of it comes from uh, philanthropists like Bloomberg, Gates, etc., or private institutions or special issue institutions. And um, the WHO, has to respond to them. It's a political organization. This is what people have to understand. I think that this narrative of the tobacco wars, uh, it's an obsolete narrative because the tobacco industry today is not the same as in the 1980s. In the 1980s, it was a real epopeical quest, a real battle against the tobacco industry waged by medics, by by medics, uh, you know, it was really David against Goliath, right? But now that David has become a Goliath as well, right? So who is being harmed? Uh, they have been practicing a certain policy to address smoking, but who has been affected in this? The tobacco industry is okay. They are like Johnny Walker. They, they are okay. They they have not been harmed. Tobacco industry is, is buoyant. And, and the tobacco industry is also moving towards harm reduction. And who has been harmed? The consumers, people who smoke, and now people who vape. We are the real, uh, they say, oh, we battle the industry, we save the world from evil, whatever. No, 
they are damaging consumers and they are holding to a narrative that is now obsolete. And, and I resent that because according to, to uh, institutions in my own country, they, they libel me, they slander me, they say that I'm, that I'm a tool of the tobacco industry when I've never received money from the tobacco industry. Okay, I talk to people from the tobacco industry, but that doesn't mean they have me in, in their pocket. That doesn't mean that I'm a stooge of them. They say, well, it's because you're promoting the interest of the tobacco industry, because the tobacco industry is selling these products and you are also promoting them, so you favor their interest. You know what I say that? During Nazi Germany, the Nazis were the worst, the most horrible regime in history. The Nazis were promoting cyclism. It's true. They were promoting cyclism. So if you are promoting that people go into their bicycles and become cyclists, does that make you a Nazi? Of course not. So all these rhetorical arguments are arguments of a technocracy that is seeing how the floor moves below them. And the more aggressive they are, the more they show that they are afraid. Because in the end, in the end, see, in the end, who makes these things? Not Philip Morris, not British American Tobacco, Chinese industries, right? And the Chinese vaping industries are regulated under the Chinese government. And at one point, the Chinese government or combination of them and other industries and even the political class will realize that it's a fantastic business to transform 1.1 billion smokers to make them migrate into this. If you sell them, that's a fantastic business. And I think that in the end, this pragmatic approach will defeat the Puritans. And joining us live from Panama City, Panama, Dr. Roberto Sussman. How's it going, Roberto? Hi, fine. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be again in your program. <laughs> Did you bring your pitchforks and torches down with you? <laughs> no, it's, uh, I'm being very benign <laughs> with, with all these things because, look, in fact, I, I even take it with a bit of humor because uh, we're, we're facing a, a, an organized technocracy that is acting like a special interest group, like this affair type of, uh, uh, private affair type so that, uh, that lobby in the United States, but at a global level. And uh, well, we do what we can, you know? We are not magicians, we don't have much resources. We are consumers, we are scientists, and uh, yeah, we do what we can. Uh, that's why I didn't bring the, the fortune, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what's your assessment being down there now? I mean, because nobody's allowed in, does it just seem like nothing's going on? No, uh, it's normal. We know that we are not allowed in. Uh, it is a secret club. 
only only those uh, allegedly representative of the civil society, which are really uh, fronts from uh, they are most most of them financed by by Bloomberg philanthropies and only also officials, health officials, minor health officials from governments. Uh, we already know that we are not welcome there. So uh, I wouldn't even try. Uh, and uh, yeah, things are happening there, like in any reunion, except that it's completely opaque. We have no idea. I have no idea what's going on there. Perhaps some other participants here are more are more are better informed than me, because look, I am focusing on the science, which is what I can do well. I'm not a uh, and uh, very keen on uh, activism and so on. I, I do what I can, but mostly. I think that my contribution to tobacco harm reduction is in research. And uh, I have already published several articles that I think give a rigorous support to the fact that these devices generate an aerosol which is far, far, far less toxic than tobacco smoke. But this notion it's not a notion. This experimental fact has been countered a lot of times. All the time, there can, even the WHO puts a doubt on this. So we have to continue showing that this is an experimental fact. It's not the opinion of uh, Roberto Sussman. It's not the opinion of uh, the tobacco industry. No, it is a fact. It is two plus two equals four. And if you say two plus two equals five, then you are wrong. It doesn't matter if you are the WHO or whoever. Facts are facts. You cannot choose them, right? And now we are about to release another paper in which we are reviewing 98 studies. 98 studies in which that expose cell lines and animal models, rodents, they are exposed to aerosols. And we are showing, of course, they report horrible things happening in the, ro in the rodents and in the cell lines, but we are showing that this is because they are being, these biological systems are being exposed to overheated aerosols. So the results of all these 98 studies are not reliable, right? Absolutely. But the funny thing is that 85% of these studies have received financing from the National Institute of Health of the US. It is not Bloomberg philanthropy, no. Bloomberg operates in, an, in other areas, in lobbying and in politics, etc. Here, these are financed by the NIH, by the CTP of the FDA, and by other public institutions in the United States. And, they, and these articles have received probably hundreds of millions of dollars of financing to 
produce a science that is completely deficient, right? And this is my this is my crusade. This is it's, my this it's a is good my crusade, Roberto. There's no doubt. And let me just mention to our viewers that those same funders are also funding all the climate change research coming out of the out of the government, and they're 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 basically looking for the the research to justify their positions is what I believe. Let me ask you this, uh, Roberto, um, one last question, and I think it's a big one because we've not yet asked it to somebody who's attending the Good Cop, Bad Cop counterconference. What do you think of the sessions and, and the event that the Taxpayers Protection Alliance is putting on down there? Well, everybody here has a, has a sense of mission. Uh, we know that we are on the on the losing side of the politics because there is no resources, all these things that we have mentioned, right? But uh, the, the big change, uh, we are not going to produce the big change. What we are doing is field work. It is a constant, uh, small step, small step, depending on our resources, our timing, uh, we are doing field work, but the, the the change will have to be political because we are subjected. Even the science that I am doing, it says I, I'm fighting a political agenda that is trying to dominate science by doing better science. But in other aspects, in other issues, regulation, uh, smoking cessation, etc., that uh, the change will have to be political. We still don't know how, but this uh, technocracy that is dominating the whole environment and is excluding everybody else and using a, a narrative, a McCarthy's narrative that is already obsolete, it is going to run into contradictions because of what I have said in previous programs, right? Consumption is increasing. The Chinese are the ones that make these products. It is not the industry, the Western industry. It is the Chinese. And, uh, and more, there's more smokers in the world and the consumption of these products in spite of all the bad mouth that they get, it is increasing. And uh, there is black markets. Uh, in Mexico, my own country, we have the same smoking prevalence as in 1999, right? And in China, the, the, it is stable and so on. So sooner or later, they will enter into contradictions. We still don't know. It is impossible to predict how. Many things can happen. For example, if Trump wins the elections in the US, we don't know. Maybe it's worse, maybe it changes, but it will be different. Well, that's, right? there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And once you bring, once Trump gets brought up in an interview, that's when we go to break. <laughs> Dr. Sussman, thank you so very much for everything. All the times you come on our show, we really appreciate it. All the work that you do on behalf of tobacco harm reduction. So we're going to just hit our uh, break slate right now. And then Martin and David are going to join us again for a quick close. Dr. Sussman, again, thank you very much.
gentlemen. Man, you guys are doing some really good chair dancing going on down there. <laughs> and we're staying in the same chair so we don't confuse you. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, two really great interviews. Wow. And again, you know, you guys have really put together a bang up conference down there or counter conference. Yeah, I'm really impressed with the talent that we were able to get down here. Thanks to Martin and Lindsay Stroud. I'm sure you've talked to Lindsay a number of times to uh, reach out to these folks and get them here in Panama City. And listen, these folks have been living this for many years, you know, some for, for decades trying to get people to quit smoking and, of course, bring in these products. And to bring them into Panama City and to have this counter conference means everything to me and to have their support and to be really talking about this and getting the coverage and Brent, thank you for giving us the coverage on this conference because this is what we need. More people need to hear about what we're doing down here. Happy to do that, Martin. Yeah, I, I just keep saying it. You know, I'm, I'm proud of the lineup we've got. And um, yeah, Ricardo Pelosa turned up a bit late. We had him on our panel on two panels today. Uh, it's great, you know, a, a giant in this, this sphere, one of the real pioneers of of research into harm reduction products, uh, e-cigarettes especially, and it's great to have that sort of expertise given their thoughts. And, and we've we've had some feedback from consumers saying they've, they've enjoyed the panels today. They've said they're fantastic panels, and and I agree. There's some fantastic uh, insights from different areas, people from policy, uh, from academics, from doctors, and from consumers. And it's been it's been a, a diverse crowd, but they've put together. Uh, between them and we've had people volunteer to moderate panels for us uh, everyone's chipping in and we've, we've come out with a lot of content with some really really good uh, thoughts and policy ideas and and just uh, inspiration so what can you tell us about tomorrow's uh, sessions well it's, it's more of the same we, we've split into three strands we have um, you know we have consumer sessions we have policy sessions and we have science sessions um, and again, we've, we've got a load of volunteers queued up to, to moderate our panels um, tomorrow. And, and sometimes we have to tell them to, you know, do the, the quick, quick, come on, stop talking. They want to keep on talking about this. Um, they're eager to talk about it because they care about the subject. And, and, and that's what I knew we'd get with the experts we've invited. We, we've got people who, who this is a, a passion. It's a passion for them. So they're happy to talk about. And when we go out for beers afterwards or something and have a chat, we're still talking about it. You know, th these people are passionate. Like I said about consumers in, in the last uh, the last segment, um, these people are going to be around and they're going to continue to make these points and, and battle for harm reduction. So sooner or later, WHO is going to have to sit down and listen to us, yeah, and I want uh, TPA to be a catalyst for this. And, you know, we call it the conference of the people. And, and we really mean that. And as Martin said, that a lot of people are volunteering to moderate the panels and to be on the panels. And, you know, during uh, day one of the conference, when the World Health Organization didn't have their live stream, we had to adjust and uh, change some things. And what we did, we just had a preemptive, you know, panel. We, we just jumped on and talked about uh, tobacco harm reduction in North America. Uh, myself, Lindsay Stroud, we had Maria from Canada, and I love to see that people are taking ownership and leadership in this conference because it may say my name behind us, but this isn't about the Taxpayers Protection Alliance. This is about the people that are here, the consumers that need these products, and really, uh, you know, this, the, the science behind it. So again, just super happy that this is a true conference of the people. Well, that's excellent, gentlemen. So we'll all be back here again tomorrow on Thursday, February 9th already. Wow, that's 
Do I have that right? I do. Boy, we've only got two more left. So um, please tune, turn, tune back in here at 4 o'clock Eastern tomorrow for another episode of Reg Watch and the Good Cop, Bad Cop Counter Conference, Cop 10.